we're moving into the field of the Zen tradition, of Japanese Buddhism. I don't know how many of you are aware, but Japan is not the only place where Zen exists. It exists in Korea. It's Korean Zen. There is Chinese Zen. And each of these Zen countries where Zen spread had their own traditions and literary culture. Um, So we're sampling the Japanese literary culture today. And these poems were especially curated, selected by Kara, and so grateful to her for going through these um, books of poetry to find the ones that are connected deeply to this practice of the wild. And um, there's two poets that we're looking at in this collection here. And one is Dogen, which is actually um, the last page. So let's, let's just look at the last page briefly just to see those are Dogen's poems. We have three from him. And Dogen, Dogen lived in the 13th century, 13, early 13th century. So very, this is a very old material. And then also the uh, poetry of... Ryokan, which is much more uh, contemporary. I mean, it's not completely contemporary. It's still 18th century, so 1700s, but many hundreds of years after Dogen. And uh, Dogen was also the founder of the Soto Zen school. So some of you may know there's two main schools of Zen in Japan, the Rinzai and the Soto So Dogen was the founder of the Soto school. So not only was he a poet, not only was he a great lover of the outdoors and the wilderness and wrote his poetry, um, some of it about that, wrote a lot of uh, Buddhist poetry and sort of like enlightened songs or enlightening songs, enlightening poems. but he, so he was also a great organizer and a great um, sort of systems thinker in his tradition and founded this tradition, really um, kind of a revolutionary new way of framing and teaching Zen, his own doctrine. And so he was a very um, creative thinker, Dogen. And then Ryokan had a very different life from Dogen, completely different, really. Um, Ryokan was, um, spent his early life in the monastery, became a monk when he was 17 years old. His father was a well-known poet in Japan already, so he ran in his lineage, in his household, and he spent the first part of his life really involved in the Soto Zen curriculum and monastic life, very institutional, you know, very much in the institution and in the framework and the structure of his Zen tradition. And at some point in his life, he completely broke out of it. He was just like, no. 
as do many yogis. Like this story is a common story across um, Buddhist traditions. And um, tomorrow we'll be looking at the work of someone who had the same kind of impulse to just break away from the system and to become a solitary meditator, a hermit. And so Ryokan became a hermit and he moved to Mount Kagami, which is a very remote and very snowy part of Japan. I don't know if you've been to Japan. I have not been to Japan, but there are parts. How many people have been to Japan? Oh my gosh. I so want to visit someday. It's on the bucket list. Oh, yes, I'm on the bucket list. Um, but there are parts of Japan that are mountainous, like high mountains and snow. There's skiing in Japan. I don't know if you've seen, um, uh, there's an incredible documentary about the snow monkeys of Japan that live uh, really in really cold climate and they um, stay warm by, by bathing in the hot springs. So they're, they're kind of well known for that, these snow monkeys. There's a wonderful um, video from the nature series on these snow monkeys that I really recommend. You could probably Google the nature series and the snow monkey um, documentary, and it's like an hour and a half or something, but it's, I mean, I was in tears. It, it, it follows very closely the life of some of the monkeys, and it's just incredibly moving. It's a very moving story. They, 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 they follow the story of a, especially a couple of the monkeys, and it's, it's amazing and inspiring. So, yes. So, Ryokan lived in that area. And, and then he, he moved to this, to this mountain in the later part of his life, and he became really destitute, like apparently just penniless, and lived like a real hermit, begging for his alms, and um, apparently going into the town, playing with children, and writing poetry, and not, not being involved in all the institutional stuff at all, just really a pure poet. And, and his Dogen's poetry and Ryokan's poetry, they were calligraphers also, so they calligraphed their poetry, and their original calligraphy still exists. You can see it. It's in museums. It's, that just blows my mind, that the original paper and pen that these poets used, the relics of that, the remnants of that, the art of that still exists. It's amazing. And that does, isn't true for so many Buddhist scriptures. So many Buddhist scriptures are, what we have are copies of what those original poets or, or yogis wrote. Um, but not the original of what they wrote, not their actual brushstrokes, but you have the brushstrokes. These brushstrokes exist of these, of these poets. So what I'd like to do is, is lean in a little to some Dharma study with the poems, and, and really with, with the Zen poetry, it's so pithy and so... Um, experience-focused, that um, for myself, the best way that I've enjoyed Zen poetry is to read and then to sit with the image 
for a little bit, like just to read and then to sit with the image. Um, so let's do that. Let's do that just for a practice for a moment. It's just reading. I'll read them. Uh, actually, let's go around. Let's go around. Let's go around. Oh, yes? Mm, thank you. No, I, no. Oh, oh, you weren't, you know, a mic copy. hopper? What I didn't you get a copper. <gasps> you didn't get a copper? Oh, no. no oh, I don't no. Okay. <laughs> All right. We can just pass. You can pass it to your, to your right when you're done. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start on. Let's start in the beginning. Let's start in the beginning with Ryokin's poetry. Yes, and we'll just read one by one, and then we'll sit for a minute, and then I'll ring this, and that'll be the sign for the next person to start, and that we will keep a a little practice of of resting with the poems. Should I read the first? The first one, starting with the firewood. Okay. Yes. Firewood bundled on my shoulders. I descend a steep path down the green mountain. Occasionally I rest a while under a tall pine, listening quietly to the spring birds sing. Listening to the silence of a moss-covered stream, I grow calm and transparent, still as the motionless current. Living alone in the woods, few visitors cast shadows. How clean the moon gleaming in the sky. Surrounded by green mountains, 
white clouds left and right, white clouds left and right. If I meet a fellow traveler, what news can I give him? What shall remain as my legacy? The spring flowers, the cuckoo in summer, the autumn leaves. If people ask how I live as a hermit, I would respond, I don't care if it rains or the wind blows. Where did spring come from, I ask? The plum blossoms don't answer, but the warbler sings. sky, mountains and forests blurred in the mist. Then the fog clears, clouds and haze vanish, no one knows where. On the surface of the swollen stream, water birds bob playfully. I'm going for a walk through the gorges and do some meditation. How many years I spent parting the wild grasses to penetrate the inmost depths. Then suddenly I understood my teacher and came back to my native place. You go there and come back again, yet everything remains the same. Clouds covering the mountain's summit, 
streams flowing by at your feet. Walking along, I followed the drifting stream to its source, but reaching the headwaters left me stunned. That's when I realized that the true source isn't a particular place you could reach. So now, wherever my staff sets down, I just play in the current's eddies and swirls. After two or three years wandering over foggy seas and cloud-capped peaks, today I've returned to my old shrine. Well, you may ask, now that you're back, give us a verse to express your thoughts. I hang the tip of my staff on the moon. The ground feels light beneath my feet. a solitary pine together with the tree again letting time slip by is there anyone in this whole wide world who'll come along with me descend the mountain's green forested slopes while chrysanthemums perfume the air. Mountains and streams shimmer and glow. Human beings are not metal or stone. As the seasons change, 
My heart can't help but respond. Who can shut himself up in a corner somewhere, sitting stiffly in meditation till old age dangles its silver threads? In spring, the cherry blossoms. In summer, the cuckoo's song. In autumn, the moon shining. In winter, the frozen snow. How pure and clear are the seasons. You must awaken the non-abiding mind. The comings and goings of the waterfowl leave no trace, yet the paths it follows are never forgotten. Not a moment spent idly in 24 hours. Do they realize how my heart is, always stirred by the valley streams and lofty peaks under the setting autumn sun? You can give this to the next person because I have a question for them. Who's the next person in line? Oh, Iris. So my question for you is, they're one of these that speaks to you more than the others. This is Iris's poem. What stood out to me are a few lines. You can Who take can your time? Shall I read them? Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Who can shut himself up in a corner somewhere, sitting stiffly in meditation till old age dangles its silver threads? Beautiful. So passing to the next person, um, can you read the whole poem for us, Iris's pick? With early autumn, the cold air arrives, and the wild geese begin to fly south. I, too, gather my robe and bowl in cheerfully descent. The mountains, green forested slopes, wild chrysanthemums perfume the air. Mountains and streams shimmer and glow. Human beings are not metal or stone as the seasons change. My heart can't help but to respond. Who can shut himself up in a corner somewhere sitting stiffly in meditation till old age dangles its silver threads? Thank you. Thank you. So let's look at this one first. Let's look at this one first. Ryokan. What speaks to us about this poem? What is he conveying? So looking at the poem, let's bring the words alive, the ones that speak to you in this poem. Let's bring those words alive. And in the same way, speaking and then wait a beat before we offer another word. You may, oh, you don't have to raise your hands. You can just speak it out. Speak it out. Thank you. And some feeling words, some feeling words, the feelings.
Beautiful. Bringing us deeper and and then just opening it up for um, for this you can raise your hand if you want to offer um, what is Ryokan wanting us to see or understand? What is Ryokan wanting us to see or understand? Jim. Strength from the retreat, but you engage with the society. Yes. Lovely. Yes. There's also a seasonal pragmatism to it, I think. Like, there's a season to be not sitting along the camera in the freezing cold. Right, right. Yes, seasonal pragmatism in the poem. Absolutely. Yes, and, and what, where is that mic? Where did it end up, that mic? Oh yeah, if you could pass it right in front of you. We'll start, we'll start just, yeah, so for the people who are listening later. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I didn't get melancholy. I got, there was a lot of joy in this poem and joy in being outdoors and the impermanence of humans in the outdoors and change. And he's, I feel like he's finding a lot of happiness in that. Beautiful, yes. Uh, can't help but respond really stood out to me. Um, really shows that he is looking at himself as part of the natural world, that the trees are gonna respond and he is gonna respond as well. Right, yes. Seeing himself as part of the natural world. Can't help but, yes. Did you have your hand up? Okay, okay. Yes. Uh, we'll try to bring the mic to you first. Yeah. It's good exercise for us. So. <laughs> we didn't have enough exercise this morning. <laughs> to me, it's very visual. Like, I can really visualize this and feel like I'm there. And then the feelings come of hope and warmth and transition. Beautiful. Hope, warmth, transition. So, so here's another question. I'm going to put a question out there, see if anyone wants to take it. What is, is there a Dharma teaching in this poem? What is the teaching? And of course there could be many, but just trying that out on you. Oh, yes, uh-huh. Thank you. I think there's a practical instruction in how to meditate, um, which can be challenging, you know, how to find the right posture, how to be in relationship with what's going on in your body. Um, 
And this is saying you can move, you can be in every moment meditating. You don't just have to sit stiffly by yourself. Yes, yes. That's a profound message here. Yes, meditation can happen any way. Yes, thank you. You can keep passing it. Oh, behind you first. Oh, you're so close. There you go. I don't know if we're still doing names, but I'm Lisa. Um, so for me, um, what I think about is like that I you know get from this poem is like really moving with the natural rhythms, like from a very deep place. Like when he says, um, "With early autumn, the cold air arrives, and the wild geese begin to fly south." I, too, gather my robe and bowl and cheerfully descent. And it's like, it's just, he's just including himself as part of the natural world. And then the next part about, and cheerfully descent, it's like he's just responding cheerfully to what the natural movement is. And so to me, that's, like the essence of life in a way, you know. Beautiful. Yeah, his mood is his mood is uplifted by the change in the seasons. That's very cool. Yes. When I read this, I feel this is a, a human who's madly in love with life, like deeply in love. And his heart is so full in response to all the aliveness around. And I love his question above, who'll come with me? Who'll come along with me? Yes, who'll come along with me? Beautiful. Thank you. This line here, my heart can't help but respond, is kind of, while I'm sitting with it, it just feels like the the overabundance of uh, love, you know, that the feeling in his heart. So what's coming to me is the, I think dharma, dharma is not something you do, but something that you be. You know, because it's just overflowing and it's not an action on his part. It just, he can't help it. You know, and I feel like that's true dharma for me when things happen and you don't do them. You know? mm. so. mm, beautiful. Dharma is not something that you do. Dharma is something that you be. I'm taking that yogiism with me. <laughs> That's a good one. Thank you. So for me, this evokes both a sense of beauty and impermanence Um, and sort of riffing off that impermanence at the end 
the, the mention of old age, the allusion to it, I, I take as sort of a reminder that life is precious, um, but there's no time to lose. We don't know when old age and death, or old age will come, death will come, practice. Thank you. Yeah, I've come, I'll come back to the pragmatism, I guess. I, I see two things here. One is right action, like wise action. There's a time to act in a certain way because it's wise. And he's, he's teaching that, I think. And the other one is basically the, um, uh, the commitment to your own awakening, but also the awakening of others. So, in order, to, in order for him to fulfill the second, he has to take care of himself and come off that yeah. mountain for the winter. Yes, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, the, the, uh, yes. And, and that question, who will come along with me, feels like such a compassionate impulse. It's like, it's like I, come along with me, you know. Come, come with, I'll come along with him. I might be like, please take me with you, Rook. And, I want to go where you're going, man. You know, so that kind of bodhisattva open-heartedness, that open-hearted, please come along with me, you know, invitation, the invitation to join him in his awakening. That's very present there. Yes. Um, if I can speak about the previous poem, that was, um, since we're talking about the last line, uh, I was a little disturbed by it because uh, he said, all alone leaning against a solitary pine, together with the tree again. It sounds like letting the time slip by, like he's a little bored with being with the tree and he's not getting company from the tree. Um, which is something that I've recently learned how to do. So I was struck by that. And is there anyone in this whole wide world who will come along with me? It's, he's wanting more. Hmm. He's not happy with the tree. And so he's human. And, he's, and it was so striking to me because I would never put myself in a situation of being alone like he did. Um, but I am able to get company from the trees. And he put himself in the situation of being solitary, and he's having trouble finding company with the tree. <laughs> and he called the tree alone also, solitary pine. Um, I think the next poem is so heartwarming and cheerful and a love of life, whereas this one feels melancholy to me. Mm, mm. Well, thank you. Thank you. Are they two different poems? I don't know. Do you know? It's very ambiguous. It's ambiguous in the book, right? It's quite like this in the book itself. That's why I presented it like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
it could have been that the translator wasn't sure, or the you know it could be ambiguous in the text too. Yeah. I have a 21st century connection to this. Get outside, get off your devices, and don't miss this natural world. Mm. It, that's why I think I talked about um, time, because we're not getting younger. And are we missing this by having our heads down on the phone all the time? Mm. So that's what I heard. Mm. Don't miss it, because it's mm. magical. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. So many teachings from one poem. It's amazing, isn't it? It yields so much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm coming to this now from, or this morning from our, our conversation earlier about Gaia and how adding that to that layer of taking refuge in Gaia, um, which I love. And I just, I don't know, in both poems, I see, I see the connection of, and thought through exactly what I'm trying to articulate. Um, even the idea of like the, the time slipping by in the, in the first section or first poem, I don't know if I necessarily, I love the idea that it could be melancholy and that the second half is like this joyful experience, but I kind of see them connected as, uh, are we all alone? Is he alone? Or is the tree alone? Are we all, it's all, we're all one. We're all alone, but we're together. And all the, the later on, the, the conversation or, or unfolding of the mountain um, and kind of what has already been beautifully said here about um, how he, he's not separate from nature. Um, I don't know, I just, I see it as this like ode <laughs> to, to Gaia, to the world and how when, when you're coming along, it's not, come, who, who will come along with me? Maybe it's about nature more so than like an individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there could be so many different reads right, of this poem, yes, and, and the, what the who might mean. Thank you. Well, um, I guess a couple of things that come to my mind is I, even though Zen is a part of uh, Meditation, but I, I feel a lot of devotion in this poem, you know, with the nature, the elements, the heart. So it's amazing how uh, the path of meditation and devotion is kind of merging in this poem itself. Yeah. And then, I, you know, the first part of this poem it says all alone, leaning against a solitary pine. What I gather from this is the, it's so much easier to be with trees and stones. And, um, and later he's asking if any human being will accompany him. You know, so for him, it feels like you know, it's, it's a lot easier to be with nature and with trees and the pine and anything else that's non-human. So mm. that's what I gather. Mm. Thank mm. you. Thank you. 
devotion to the natural world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One more. Yes. So this is the poem at the bottom of page one, and the surrounded by green mountains, white clouds left and oh, right. Oh, we've moved to a different one? Wait, wait, where are we now? On the first page. <laughs> Orient us. Okay. Page one at the bottom. Okay, this is one that spoke to you? Yes. This, okay. Yes. Okay. Sorry if I've uh-huh, thank deviated you. here. But, okay, um, that's all right. I just love the image of meeting a fellow traveler and what news can I give him? And I imagine no news <laughs> or just lots of laughter oh, and, yeah. and love and looking around. You know, we, the news has such a connotation now, you know, staying in the news and there's so much news. And, but this news would be very different. You know, this would be, this would be the news of our experience, our heart, and our, the, the forest. So I love that. I, I, yeah. I can see myself in that meeting. Mm. So it's, yeah. yeah, it's like the news of this present moment. Exactly. Right. <laughs> it's a different kind of news, totally. Right. That's it, right now. That's right. It's very fresh, very fresh. Yeah, when I read that one, I thought about, um, I'm currently staying up in New Hampshire, and I'm surrounded by mountains up there, and by sky and clouds. And so I, I got an immediate visual hit, and, and visceral hit reading that poem. I was, I was right there with him, uh, right there on the back porch of where I'm staying now. And, um, and I know that exact feeling of just awe, like just jaw-dropping, what can one say? It's beyond, yeah, <laughs> beyond, like the Dharma, yeah. All right, so, oh yes, we are at time, we are at lunchtime, so we're going to uh, disperse, and just a quick reminder to um, honor the noble silence um, wherever we are on the, on the campus. And, and it's not about only our own. It's also about helping others stay within their, within their practice. So, you know, sometimes I think we think it's just, oh, I, I don't need the noble silence, right? But actually, maybe others do. So just remembering, thank you, as much as we can to keep that container. And I will see you all at 2, back in the hall. Thank you. And we will be doing, our, we will be doing a plunge. So maybe bring your stuff um, at lunch. Bring it here at 2, just so we're ready to go when the time comes. Thank you. Hmm?